Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner with Deason, Garner, and Hanson in studio with Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. Today, we've got an exciting show for you today. We're going to talk about happiness and how to achieve it. So, if you want to be happier in life and more successful, then uh, you're on the right channel. We want to start this out. Obviously, this is a very broad theme, and everybody, their purpose in life is to achieve some level of success and happiness. And a lot of times, we categorize that as being rich or successful or popular. And uh, I think that it's actually much simpler than that. And in fact, we've seen many people that are rich that are very unhappy and suicidal. In fact, there's a lot of actors that when they achieve a certain level of success in life, they become depressed. So it it has something more to do than just receiving accolades from your peers or receiving wealth. So what brings happiness? And Cody, I kind of want to put you on the spot here and Adam chime in. Um, Have you ever had a project or gone through an experience that at the end of it, you felt a great sense of gratitude or satisfaction? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's kind of something I figured out recently. Like I need to be working on something that has like a, a big payoff or a big, you know, completion. Like, uh, like for example, when the seminars, when we do the seminars like that, that we bring that to completion. Like there's a whole bunch of planning that goes into that. And then afterwards, you know, you see the payoff, you see the, the, the results of it. So it's, it's rewarding. What about personally? Are there any yeah. projects that you're working on that you've put a lot of sweat and labor into? Either you've accomplished them or you're in the middle of it and, and it's, a, it's a labor of love? I could not have asked you to set me up with a better question. <laughs> on Friday, like I, I, I had a show and um, I've been putting together these comedy shows and we had a sold out show. Like it was, this is the fourth one. And long story short, like, yeah, there was a lot of planning that's gone into them. And by this point, it was nice to have um, that sort of accomplishment by. Before it even started, you know. Yeah. So for our audience, Cody is a comedian, and he's an aspiring comedian. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just like comedy. I don't. I like stand up, and then I'm a narcissist, so I like the attention. Well, we all are, you know, <laughs> right? In in one way or another. And uh, so you got the sold out show. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So tell me about the show. Where was it? Uh, so it was at the Crest, and uh, we brought down comedians from L.A. from out of the comedy store. And point being is That's pretty big. It, you know what? To, to to reach into a big venue like L.A. and and get them to come down to Yuma and perform. So you you were performing with some um, pretty class acts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they are people that have been doing it a decade or more, and and they're on top of their game. Um, for me, all I care about is is equality. Are these people hilarious, and do they, are they going to make other people laugh? And and again, like when that happens, like so to answer your question, that's what I got on Friday. Like I didn't care. I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about anything else. I cared about a room of 200 people laughing. Like, okay, they got what I saw. You know what I mean? Like, it worked. And, and it, it was over. And it, was, it felt great, you know, to complete that. How much time? Uh, leading up to that? Yeah, preparation. Um, I think I lived with anxiety for like six to eight weeks. before. <laughs> you know, because you launch it and then you, you get these daily, you know, ticket sales. And then up until the week of, do you really like relieve the anxiety mm-hmm. you know because you're living with it you're living with am i going to come out of pocket to pay the talent you know or, or whatever it may be so adam i'm going to put you on the spot with the same question but uh, i'm going to give you a little bit of time to prep for it 
Um, I recently gave a project to my son, and it was to rearrange rocks in my front yard. Now, that may feel like a very daunting and, and thankless job, and maybe in some respects it is. But what he did, I have these you know dry river beds that uh, make up the landscape of my front yard. And uh, they started to become disheveled, and the rocks started getting kicked in, and so they just basically were looking like some ragtag string of rocks in, in the yard. So I asked him to clean it up a bit. And what I was expecting was for him to spend maybe an hour taking the loose rocks, putting them back on the edge, cleaning up the inside area that had the, the smaller um, you know, quarter minus or, or one-inch river rock inside, and just making it look presentable. What he did instead was he took out all the rock of the entire riverbed. He placed each rock individually, the larger rocks, so they, they fit together kind of like a puzzle piece along the edge. And then he made sure that the, the rock that went inside would flow evenly so it could spread out. So it actually looked kind of like a flowing river. And he spent all day on one single riverbed. Now, I have five riverbeds. Those, those dry riverbeds in my front yard. And so he spent five days on the project. And the last two days, um, he was able to recruit his sister's help on it. And at first she was like, no, I don't want to. And it was during Christmas break. And so they had time on their hands. And I said, Molly, help him out. You know, he's doing this big project. So uh, she participates. And each day I got home from work, they would have one done. And both of them were very excited to show me what they had achieved. And I look at it, and it's great. People walking by my house may or may not notice. They got a great sense of satisfaction and accomplishment out of moving rocks. And that's kind of what the point of the show is today, that happiness has so much more to do with your perception and the amount of effort that you put into accomplishing something than your actual circumstances. There is this very common misconception that if we were to win the lottery or if we were to have great health or if we had the perfect body, we'd be happy. And that is false. What makes us happy is working hard and then getting some sense of accomplishment out of it. Like you worked hard putting time into the comedy show and then bringing people joy and laughter. Wesley, my son, he put in a lot of work and rearranged those rocks and he achieved a great product, but really in the end, he put forth a great effort to demonstrate that he could do something nice. Adam, you've got six kids, so your kids, have you assigned them something difficult that they got a great sense of satisfaction out of, or you personally? I know you're always working on a lot of um, projects. You have a, a lot of hobbies and a lot of talents. So what's one of them that brings you the greatest joy? I think, uh, yeah, so you mentioned I have six, you have six kids too. And so I think our daily struggle is getting those kids to do what we want them to do. And that's the biggest uh, challenge of my life, to be honest, especially when you have a teenager in the, in the household. And Sean, you and I have talked about the teenagers in our households and, and the constant seemingly drama that's going on in their lives and, and how we get them to be motivated to do what we want them to do. And so when you first asked the question, my first thought was, well, my 15-year-old recently hit the age where he could apply for his permit, his driving permit. And him driving in our family will be a great benefit because it'll alleviate a lot of the stress that I have to 
feel or my wife has to feel when we're running around these six kids all over to their appointments and things like that. So I, I would say one of the biggest projects I recently had to do was motivate a teenager to get his driving permit. And uh, that's always a, anytime you're dealing with a teenager, it's, it's like, it's like a negotiation. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, you have to convince them that they're going to get something out of it, you know, and it's all for them. And, uh, and that's the challenge is, well, how do I make this seem like it's just for them and it's a great thing? And, and so, um, the, the permit thing wasn't that big of a struggle to convince my 15 year old that it was a good thing to have. It was more of sitting down and studying the material so that he could pass the test and get his permit was, that was the challenge. So when are you going to find the time and, you know, constantly hounding him like that? He wants to drive, right? Yeah. Everybody, you know, all kids want to drive. They feel like there are some that are not that inclined. They're they're not that motivated, uh, fearful of it. Yes. And and others are like, they're chomping at the bit. They can't wait to get behind the steering wheel. So your, you know, your son wants to drive. Yeah. He just doesn't want to put in the work that it's necessary to get the paperwork done. Yeah. You've got to go through the little test, you know, I think maybe it was 30 questions or something like that. So ultimately, I asked around and that's, this is where my wife and I, we usually, we kind of butt heads. I don't know if she's really changed her view on this or not, but my, my view on something that I really haven't done for a long time, or I haven't done at all. I like to go out and ask people that have done it. Like, what did you do? How did you do it? And I'm not going to, I take their advice. I take the, what they communicate to me and then I plan accordingly, or I try and uh, approach that particular thing in a way that I've taken their counsel or I've heard what they've said and I look out for those pitfalls. And oftentimes my wife will say, why? Why do you even do it? Why do you ask other people? It's none of their business. She's more of a, she wants to keep things private, you know, and she wants to make sure that our business isn't out there. And I'm like, it's not about having my business out there. I just, I want to know how to do something and what, what better way to know the pitfalls than to ask somebody else that's gone through it. Yeah. So that's what I did. I asked another teenager that's a little older than my son what did you do to study for this test? He's like, oh, it was easy. I just got this app on my phone and spent, you know, like a day reading over that and going through the questions, and then I passed the test. So I thought, okay, that's great, an app. That's great for a 15-year-old. You know, they're constantly on their phone. So we did that. We had my teenager download that app, um, and he he uh, studied for one day, and then that, I told him when I left in the morning, I said, I when I come home, I want you to take the test. Uh, because it's online now, you just do it online, and um, you'll know instantly if you pass or not. So it's different than when I took it. I had to go physically down somewhere and take a physical paper test, you know. Uh, but now it's because of COVID, they started doing everything online, and you as a parent can proctor that test on on the internet. And so I said, "Hey, I'm leaving to work. You've got a good eight hours. I want you to study this app, and when I get home." I want you to take the test and pass it. And so I got home. He took the pass, or he took the test. He didn't pass it the first time. He missed like one or two questions more than he he could miss. And then um, uh, he just logged in again, took it one more time, and passed it and got his permit. And so that alleviated the stress off of my shoulders. I'm like, okay, I don't have to worry about this anymore. He passed the test. And now it's been really fun because anywhere we drive, if he's with us, he's driving. Mm-hmm. And we just sit in the passenger seat. So it's great. I feel like I'm like high class. I'm being chauffeured everywhere I want to go. 
I'm a little fearful it's most little, of the time. It's a little bumpy. You get a little whiplash here and there. Yeah. I'm always worried I'm going to get killed, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's a poor man's chauffeur. Okay? So well, I, I, I've been there. I, I, I know I, you have. I hear where you're coming A few from. times. Yeah. So how, and, and so he, he's getting that sense of satisfaction because he's acquiring new skills and his, his freedom is expanding and, and he's growing in that. What about you personally? What big projects have you done? over your lifetime, whether it's uh, in your formative years growing up or, or more recently? I mean, you and I went to law school. That was a big deal. Um, and that was my, my journey through that process was largely because of you encouraged me to do that. But it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Or I'm going to, I'm going to hit this uh, educational market in my life. You really have to structure your life in such a way that you can do that successfully and you don't burn out. And you were really big in that on in my in my uh, path through law school because I remember when we when I went to law school or before I went to law school we were talking about it and you said treat it like a job like you're checking in eight to five a lot of students they're going to put in you know 12 24 hours of study and you'll get burned out really fast if you do that <clears throat> but some of the greatest uh, advice that you gave me before I went to law school was treat it like a job and that way I can check in and check out and give some time to my family because at the time I still had four little kids at home as I was going through law school. And it really it benefited my family and my life to be able to sw switch off at the end of the day and say, no, I'm not going to look at this anymore. I'll get back to it tomorrow. Um, but that was a real big challenge for me because I my life was just busy with those little kids and trying to do the academic uh, rigors of law school at the same time. It was taxing for us, but um, ultimately, when you have the goal in mind at the very end, you just keep focused on that, and, and you can get through a lot of things. I think um, you you had brought up before we started today that there's seemingly opposition in all things. Like you, you might be going on your path in life, and everything is hunky dory until something pops up and. And it's the opposite of what you thought, or is it, it was an emergency. And you've made this comment to me before, Sean. When life is good, you get nervous because yeah. you know inevitably something's going to come. Yeah. And uh, that tends to happen. And um, it's how you respond to those challenges, I think, that really defines who you, a person is. I like that quote. I don't know who said this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take credit for it. This was my quote. Okay. No, it's, it, Adam you can, Hansen. You judge the the character of a person by the decisions they make when nobody's looking. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, yeah. I just I I came up with that off the top of my head, but uh, trademark. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, really, when it comes down to it, like you mentioned, Sean, these these challenges in our lives. How do you respond to those? How do you pivot and keep moving forward? That's really. In my mind, that that American spirit, I think America tends to produce a lot of individuals that have that tenacity to get through hard things and keep moving forward. That, that, that's a great point, actually. In fact, I want to I uh, elaborate a bit on that, but we have to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. 
Welcome back. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm in studio with Adam Hansen and Cody Beeson. We're talking about what brings satisfaction and true happiness in life. And Adam, you ended the last segment in talking about how it's, it's, a, it's an American thing, um, or classically American, to want to tackle hard things and uh, overcome. You said it a bit differently. Finish up your thought where we left off there. I'd mentioned that uh, this tenacity that I think that is innate in a lot of us here in this country is is the American spirit. And what I meant by that was, if you look at our history, we we were our our history comes from rebels. I mean, these were the the people that were ejected from from England that had to settle here, some by choice, most by not by choice. They were shipped here, and then they had to make do, and then they had to they had to fight sacrificing their lives, knowing that their lives could be taken for this pursuit of happiness. Of and, and I'm going to argue the point about being forced here, but go ahead and finish your thought, mm-hmm. and then we'll come back to it. Hey, well, I mean, some were, some were not, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And I think to, to elaborate on that, you've got some Irish— I mean, in, the England and Ireland were, were classically fighting, and they tended to capture, you know, these— rambunctious Irishmen and ship them off to this new colony in America, which I thought was looking back, like that was probably the worst thing to do is ship off these, these rambunctious Irishmen that were already prone to fight the English. And now they're really riled up, you know, and like you throw them on this new land that's beautiful and the sky's the limit. Of course, you're going to have a revolution on your hands. But um, it, it, having said that, you have these men like George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, uh, James Madison, all these founding fathers that really did great things in the face of opposition. Mm-hmm. And contrary to the traditions that were being taught at the time, they questioned those, and they questioned authority. I'm not saying you always question authority or go against authority, but I don't think it's a bad thing to question it from time to time. Well, I think it's a great thing to question it. You don't have to go against it. You don't have to make it your life's mission to go against authority, but to question it, I think, is a good, healthy practice to do because you need to know for yourself whether or not uh, this is going to be a productive activity that you're you're engaged in or whether or not you're just going along as a sheep, right? You know, we, we question the government every time they come down with new mandates or new laws or restrictions. But do we? That's, the, that's my fear. I think we should. And I think, I think we that, should. That is an American spirit that we question the authority as, as our first knee-jerk reaction. And I think that's a good thing because um, a few people at the top of the chain of command throughout history have not proven to be the best way to govern. We've demonstrated through this experiment, this this democratic republic that we've developed, that when many people are involved in the decision-making process and you allow freedom of thought, then the greatest ideas and the most amount of innovation comes to the top and, and we excel as a people. We haven't excelled as a country because of the government, we've excelled as a country because the government was restricted. That, I think, was the primary objective of our founding fathers, was how do we have some form of government so we don't have anarchy and chaos, but the least amount of government possible and have a civilized society. And so what, how, do you, how do you balance all of that? And I think the founding fathers, we've talked about this before, over the course of the last few years, 
when we've really focused on our Constitution and how, I, in my opinion, it's, it's a divine document. And you can say what you want about it and the, and the Founding Fathers, but I believe that that document was really brought from divinity, that it was inspired, namely because we've never had a Constitution in the world like it since. It's, it's smaller than all other constitutions that have ever been brought up again. Argentina, for example, tried to emulate the United States uh, Constitution. It's, it's like three times longer than our Constitution. And so say what you will about the Founding Fathers and about the Constitution, but it's a system that does work if we continue to honor those things that were principally put in place and we don't go beyond those bounds. And I think um, that just goes to show that it was an inspired document and it continues to be an inspired document and we need to hold on to it as much as we can and fight for it to continue to live. And I don't think it does us any justice to try and interpret the constitutional um, powers and the division of powers in our, our government through today's lens. I think we need to continue to stick to the basic principles that the Constitution puts forth, regardless of whether it was in the 1700s or whether it's now in, in 2023. I think those same constitutional principles apply now in 2023 as they did in 1777. And I think um, we do ourselves a, a disservice when we try and take these fundamental principles and tweak them or say, well, these founders really didn't understand what we're living through. They don't understand mm -hmm. the the rights, uh, gay marriage rights. They don't understand gun rights. They don't understand that kind of stuff. They couldn't have. They possibly could not have understood the complexities that we, we deal with in 2023. Uh, and I, I argue that they absolutely did. Well, here, here's a counterpoint to that, and that is, we don't understand and appreciate what they were going through and the complexities of their society. And we're measuring their moral judgments because oftentimes we look at, at, at the outcome and we say, okay, well, was there um, glimpses of racism in the Constitution? There are. The, the Constitution isn't by and large a racist document. Not at all. In fact, there, there's very few incidents in the Constitution that have any implication of race. And one of those is counting um, individuals in states to determine the representatives in Congress. And people that are in bondage are only counted for every five people. Then they get three counted towards that representative in, in making sure that the, that another representative is appointed. Anyway, don't want to get too far off point. Anyhow, that is obviously a racist thing because the people in bondage at that time were African-American. They were black. And so, that, and, 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 and the founding fathers were slaveholders. Many of them were. Not all of them, but many of them were. But you look at the time that they lived in and slavery was a societal norm. That is something that existed, and it has existed for 6,000 years. Now the fact that we are more enlightened to the fact that one human being should never be owned by another human being. That is just evil. That's bad and that's wrong. But we live in a different society, 
we've grown up with that and, and we have that privilege. The reason that we have that privilege of understanding that is because our founding fathers laid the foundation of allowing us to have the education and freedom of speech and have this thought experiment where we could expand our minds to get to the point where we are. What they wrote in the Constitution was an aspiration for human morals, and they started it out not in the Constitution itself, but in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and given these inalienable rights. And so that's not to say that we all live with it now, or they did at the time, but they recognize that they do exist and they aspire for that to exist. It's just like writing my New Year resolution each year. You're saying I'm going to wake up and I'm going to work out first and then I'm going to read something to further my knowledge and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to get there on time and I'm going to spend you know, my time focused on what I'm doing and I'm going to get home and spend time with my kids. That doesn't mean I do all those things. That means I'm aspiring to be um, a more fit person, a better parent, a, a good lawyer, and then I fail inevitably in those things and that's why I make new resolutions each year. So the the Constitution is an aspirational document, and many people have referred to it as a promissory note, as a note that uh, the, the Founding Fathers drafted and that we as a country have not fulfilled, that we've let down the citizenships, and, and, and now it's time to cash in on that promissory note, as if there's a sense of entitlement of those who are born in this country today, that they're entitled to every sense of morality and justice that is described in the Constitution. And I would counter that with, you are the trustee of that document. You are responsible for making sure that those aspirations continue on by taking it upon yourself a responsibility to aspire to those levels of high moral standards, not expecting them to be bestowed upon you by some other organization, whether it be race or social class. I take issue with, so right now we live in, a, in an era, if you will, where the government is promulgating or pushing forward this critical race theory. I take issue with the idea that America is inherently racist. I, I really do take issue with that. As you outlined before, in my mind, but for the American experiment, we would probably still have slavery. It, thank goodness that we had those men, those founding fathers that put together a constitution and in this American experiment that allowed for the freedom of thought and the ability to be challenged in the face of, you know, opposition or even death. And they, they challenged those cultural norms at the time of slavery, um, of owning another person, which we've seen, like you mentioned, for the last 6,000 years. You read in the, in the book of Genesis about the Egyptians and, and uh, they're taking different classes of individuals in, into slavery and making them build huge civilizations. It's not a new concept in our world history. And it's been going on for thousands of years. So what changed now? Well, through the American experiment and this divinity that inspired it, we've come to understand or to be enlightened, if you will, about, wow, all men are created equal, that God is the, the God of all people. We're really actually brothers and sisters here in this mortality. And because of that, I don't care what color your skin is or your eyes or what you look like. I'm going to treat you as my brother because that's who you are. And but for the American experiment, I don't think that enlightenment would have happened. 
you could argue that it would have eventually, maybe, but man, I think the American experiment really accelerated it. Absolutely. I mean, you look at why did the British fight so hard for this colony, which you know, it was so far across the sea and so unruly, and they had spent so much of the crown's wealth in defending in the French and Indian Wars in the, in the years prior to that. Why did they fight so hard to keep it under their thumb? And the reason was, if this colony, the American colonies, um, separated from the British Empire, it would set a precedent that men could separate themselves from tyranny, that they could become free, and then the rest of the world would catch that that spirit of freedom and independence, and uh, then there wouldn't be that power of the king to put his thumb on individual people and societies and dictate to them how they should think and what they should do. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you look at right after the American Revolution, we, we have French Revolution, we have movements towards free society in England and, and, and throughout most of the modern world. And so it was a huge thing for our founding fathers to do it. They set the precedent that freedom is a thing that not only is obtainable, we can fight against tyranny and achieve it, but once we do achieve it, then exercising it's going to bring about a bit of ugliness, but it's also going to bring about a lot of beauty and innovation and creation and the best sense of of humanity. And, and, and we get these... Um, moral concepts about what is right and wrong, because no longer can the king determine to us what is right and wrong, or one church can determine to us what is right and wrong. We can think for ourselves. We can read scripture. We can read Bible or the Torah, the Quran, and we can determine what God has in store for us, and then um, we can direct our actions to be in conformity with that without obeying a strict leader and conforming to that. And that's where the the moral hierarchy really starts to line up and become divine. Do you think it's any any coincidence that the founding fathers in the Constitution, one of the first things they added in as one of our rights is the the right to free speech? No, not at all. In fact, if you look at the um, Bill of Rights and the First, Second, Third Amendment, you can easily... surmise that they did those in order of priority, in the order in which they felt that this is necessary for a free society. We have to take a break. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm in the studio today with uh, Sean Garner, my partner, and we've got our other partner in crime who works the boards and and tries to make us sound as good as he can. That's Cody Beeson. And we've been talking about this idea today of opposition and, and things is actually good because it causes us to grow. And through that growth, we often find happiness. But before we get too far into that again, I just want to remind those that are listening that this week we've got seminars coming up. So at the end of this week, Thursday and Friday, we're going to do some live seminars at the local libraries. On Thursday, that's uh, February 9th, at 1030, we're going to do a live seminar at the Yuma Main Library. And on Friday, February 10th, 
at 2.30 in the afternoon. We're going to do another seminar. So if you can't make it to the one in town, we invite you to the one out, out in the foothills at the Foothills Library at 2.30. And uh, we, we really enjoy doing these seminars because it's our opportunity to interact with those in the community and to field questions. And that's one of the best things about going to one of these is that you have the opportunity to you know, fire off questions to Sean and I and, and see us squirm around and mm-hmm. try your best to make us uh, stumped. I haven't seen it yet, but come well, bring your questions and see if you can do it. I mean, tie that into opposition. We like people with opposing views attending those seminars. What, what do you think the, the, the best result of somebody who's a skeptic coming to our seminars are? It's good because it actually challenges us and causes you and I to answer that particular question. And and we grow, you and I, because now we're seeing it from that person's perspective. And most likely he's not or she's not the only one that has that question or that idea. And so we need to know how to answer that anyway. But secondly, all those that are in attendance get to see and hear um, the answer. And uh, very likely that there's probably somebody within that group that had that same question, or maybe they didn't, but man, once it gets asked, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't even think of that, but now I want to know. So these live seminars are really good for that. Yeah, that I couldn't agree more. When, when somebody comes up and we've got someone that's a skeptic, as long as they're civil, I mean, if they're interrupting all the time, then that gets a bit annoying. But um, they ask questions, and in fact, we reserve space at the end of the seminar. Specifically, write down your questions. Let us know uh, if our arguments aren't holding water. Tell us. And so we can explain it. And through that discourse, people can make their own decisions as to whether we know what we're talking about and whether or not we have enough experience. We can demonstrate through either a scenario. Generally, the scenario is based in real life situations that we've gone through that demonstrates the, the types of planning that we are going to do works. And we can connect those dots. And by the end of it, you're like, wow, that actually made sense. And so um, either I want to go on and get my own planning. You can use that information, go to your own attorney and uh, or do your own planning, or you can come in if it's a right fit for you and work with us to do your planning. Certainly, there is no obligation to go there um, or come back to the firm after you've gone there. There's no cost to go. We want a free interchange of ideas so we can get the best concepts out there. And we've certainly become better at this over the years. Larry Deason started doing this over 30 years ago, and he got very good at explaining the concepts of very good comprehensive estate planning. When we started it uh, 15 years ago, we had to get better at understanding and seeing through all our own life experiences what would work out. And um, I really enjoy those interchanges. We were talking earlier about uh, our founding fathers, the Constitution, and and how they faced a lot of opposition. They laid down their lives and for, for some crazy experiment. They went against the crown. And uh, to the end of their lives, they kept uh, fighting for these these principles that they outlined in our Constitution over time. Um, and especially more recently, we've got our own government now telling us that they were a bunch of racists and there's a lot of racist ideas or theories within within that constitutional document and our society is inherently racist. And I had mentioned Sean earlier in the last segment that uh, I think that's I think that's a flawed point of view, mainly because um, of what I stated before. I had the American experiment not gone forth, had we not been, let's say, enlightened, if you will, um, through godly principles of those founding fathers and others uh, along our history, 
I, w- I argue that slavery and racism would have been probably the societal norm today, but because of those freedoms to express, hey, I don't really think this is right to have the other individuals under our bondage, and uh, the freedom to explain that or to express that without retribution or being opposed. And that's not to say that I wasn't opposed. I mean, there's an argument that that's the whole cause of the Civil War or one of the reasons why oh, the nation it, went it, at war. It is the cause of the Civil War, right? There are there a lot of other reasons that were put up there as smokescreens, but it was simply the Southern, Southern states' rights to own human beings. Well, you mentioned before, before we came back from the break, you said uh, something like, war is not good, but it is a necessity in some sense because it causes um, the victor to move forward with that ideal that they are actually putting their lives down for. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here, that war in, in that sense is a necessity. The reason it's a necessity is because there is opposition in all things. There are evil forces out there. And so as long as there is good, then there is going to be conflict. If we don't stand up against evil, then evil will prevail. And so we must stand up against it, and that inherently results in war. And so war isn't necessary because there is evil, and there is good, and therefore there's going to be a clash, and that's what we call war. I think that that applies both physically. Now let's let, let, let's take it down to the most fundamental elements of it. Uh, when astronauts go up into outer space, they encounter a lot of health issues, and that they have heart issues, they have atrophy of their muscles, and the reason why is because there's no gravity. That gravity is that resistance, right, from the blood flowing through their veins and from their muscles receiving that type of resistance from the the weight of objects that they carry, including their body. And so they have to go through a lot of physical training in space that there there are these made-up exercises. They're, They're not necessary right then and there in space, but they're necessary to maintain their health. And so when they come down back to Earth, they can actually walk and function again, and they're not going to have long-term health issues. And so, and what do you do if you want to become a better athlete? You run as fast as you can, and then you get a coach to push you faster. You lift weights that you normally wouldn't be lifting. I mean, literally, we create heavy objects. If you think about this from an outsider's point of view, we create heavy objects to lift them. We wake up earlier in the morning than we have to to go to a gym where they have a whole list or a whole lineup of heavy objects just so we can lift those objects. And we pay people to lift their objects and then put them back down. Why do we do that? It's because it's creating opposition. It's creating resistance. And that, that makes us stronger. It makes us healthier. That is true in a physical sense. It's also true in a, a, both a moral and a spiritual sense. Opposition in the Constitution, the greatest struggle in the Constitution was that we needed to have a unified country, but there were certain states that did not want to give up their rights. It was the southern states that did not want to give up their rights and their sovereignty to own human property. And so the northern states had to decide, well, is it, is it better to have two separate countries that are weaker and would possibly be overthrown by foreign powers or definitely overthrown by foreign powers or is it is 
some type of compromise necessary until we can work towards some type of higher ground and lay the foundation to eradicate the sin of slavery. And so the result was we're going to compromise. And the Constitution was a fantastic compromise because if you take something that is as dark and evil as slavery and as prominent as it was in the society, and then you look at the Constitution, it is not laden with elements of slavery. And in fact, it it lays out the method and uh, the path for getting rid of slavery. Right there in the the beginning of the document, it talks about that there is not going to be any more importation of people that were in bondage, owned by others, after a period of time. And so therefore, it's laying the foundation of eradicating slavery. And uh, so that's what the Civil War was all about. Lincoln... He initially, as he went through his childhood, he always expressed a disgust with slavery. However, he also expressed some racist sentiments. And how could you not? If you're living in a society where <clears throat> whites own blacks certain, you know, in certain areas of the country, then those blacks didn't have an opportunity for an education. They didn't have an opportunity to own property. They didn't have an opportunity to reach the same levels of success. That, that was, that was true. And so because of that, uh, they, they naturally didn't reach the same levels of success as, as his other colleagues. And, And so then he would, he would come to the natural conclusion that one race was inferior to the other. And that was just because of the society that he lived in. And I'm reading this book, or I've read this book, and I'm rereading this book, but what it's called is, um, And Then There Was Light. And it talks about how these, how Abraham Lincoln got glimpses of light over time and inspiration of how that statement that all men are created equal is true, divinely true, not just true in a, in a mortal sense that we should treat them that way, that it's, it's the good and right thing to do, but it's divinely true that we're all sons and daughters of a divine being, and therefore we should all be treated equal. And whether or not there are some distinctions and disparities between, between one race and another, that doesn't matter. You should treat them all the same and let them achieve the heights that their individual ingenuity and their work ethic would attain. What I, I'm not a fan of is creating classes of individuals, and we've seen that over time, especially in our American jurisprudence through Supreme Court cases over time in the 60s, the 70s. We've seen classes be created, whether that's a class of age. I can't discriminate against a person based on age. If I'm going to rent a house, for example, I can't, uh, I can't discriminate against a family in most cases that have kids. If I don't want them to be in my rental, I can't turn them away because they have kids. Um, I can't discriminate because a person is female and I don't want to hire a female. Um, So there are protected classes that have grown out of our American jurisprudence. It's not really part of our Constitution document or the Bill of Rights. And I'm kind of upset about that, not the the sense that, uh, that these classes aren't built into our Constitution, but that Later on, our jurisprudence evolved in such a way that it started segregating classes out. I would rather the government not recognize any class, that we're all equal under the constitutional terms, regardless of our sex or our our, uh, age. But what we've had 
over time is the government trying its best to in, insert itself into our lives and say, whoa, 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 you can't say that to this person. Or you can't treat that person like that because they're part of this class. Well, now the government's created these classes of individuals that have created more discrimination than there was before, most Absolutely. likely. And if they would just stick out of it, we would be just fine. Yes. And, and if you go back to the original movements where um, after the abolition of slavery, you go to Frederick Douglass and, and these champions of the movement and, and, and the betterment of the, of, of the black people in America. And you go to um, Thurgood Marshall, who is the first chief justice, black chief justice. And uh, you go to Booker T. Washington and uh, George Washington Carver, these names need, these individuals need to be studied. Their lives need to be studied. Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, George Washington Carver, Martin Luther King. Now, obviously, he's much later on in the evolution of our country and and social justice and civil rights. But um, each of those believed in social justice, but none of them believed in special treatment. In fact, they believed the opposite. They wanted equal treatment. And I think that that applies both to race, gender, age. And if we do that, that that incentivizes all of us to work and and create and try to obtain on our own merits things that will be productive to society. And in the same sense, we return back from where we started with the show, and that is get this sense of satisfaction and happiness from obtaining something good out of our own labors instead of being given it. None of you, when I asked what gave you the most happiness and satisfaction, talked about you, one day you won the lottery or one day you found out that you inherited a great sum of money. It comes from working hard and getting the fruits of your labor, receiving the return of, of that. And that is where we need to get back to. Get rid of entitlements, get back to the merit system, and allow people to be treated equally, no distinctions, we're all going at this together. You get an equal opportunity, there will be unequal outcomes, some will be greater than others, but each of us will receive satisfaction based on the level of work and determination that we put into the projects that we, we set our mind to. That's all the time that we have for today. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.